Good morning, Mercy House. How you guys doing? I'm glad you're here this morning with us. Um, hi to those at home on the live stream. Glad that you're also joining us. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue in our five-week sermon series uh, that we're doing called Forever Family, which uh, is really looking at what it means to be a part of God's forever family as Christians. And so last week, uh, Robert laid out some groundwork for what it looks like for us to enter into this forever family. And, and really, that's done through the salvific work of Jesus. And so how through Jesus, his death and his resurrection, those of us who put our hope and our trust in him are, are adopted into this family. And, and, and that's an amazing, incredible experience uh, that we get to be a part of. And so it's not about uh, being good enough in order to get into the family. It's not about anything that we can do or uh, working hard enough in order to enter the family of God. But really, it's through the free gift of God's grace that we're allowed into this family. And so this week really kind of begins an orientation of sorts into the family. I remember when I was a kid, uh, one of my favorite things to do would be after school, you'd go to a different friend's house, right? And so depending on which friend's house you went to, you had different experiences. So for me, Michael Lebson's house was awesome because he had this like huge backyard and it was all wooden. We'd hang out in the woods until it got dark, until our parents forced us to go home and it was awesome. I remember Jeremy Green had the best snacks, right? So whenever we went to his house, he had the best snacks for after school. Eric Newton had a PlayStation 1, so that was probably the best place to hang out after school. And, but in all of this, what I did was I kind of picked up early on in my experience in different families and different houses after school that all families are very different. And, and Robert talked about this last week, that the families are going to differ in the things that they center themselves around. Uh, but what you also pick up is, is not just what the family is centered around, but kind of the general rhythm of a family, the, the, the flow, and some of the house rules, so to speak, uh, that you follow when you're over a friend's house. The forever family of God is no different. Uh, this morning, we're going to start looking at what it looks like to live in the house of God, specifically as members of God's forever family. And this is going to be pouring over into the next few weeks uh, of preaching and uh, the different texts that we're looking at. Um, and, uh, but we're, what we're going to start looking at are some basic house rules. What, is, what does it look like for this morning for us as individuals in the family of God to be living out as members uh, of the family of God? And so we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. If you haven't opened up already, I encourage you to do so. You can also check out our Bible app um, or the Bible app and our page on there. Uh, and that, I want to encourage you to do that because it does have further application questions for you uh, to be checking out throughout the week as well. To just further apply the text to your life. So starting in verse 13 in chapter 5, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do for the flesh. But... but through love serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another one of the most significant realities um, that you step into when you become a christian and are adopted into the forever family of god is that you are free you are free and that's what he's pointing out here to the Galatians, that, that who are his brothers uh, with him in this family of God, right off the bat. This is what he starts with. And I think for us, we need to understand, well, what is this freedom that Paul is talking about? 
If you look back at the book of Galatians, Paul's letter really is helping them to understand uh, the futility of living under God's law and how Jesus, by his death and resurrection, freed them uh, from the law and its legal demands by, by fulfilling the demands of the law himself. If the Galatians want to live under the law, that is, uh, living in, in a legal, transactional relationship with God uh, that's based on keeping those legal demands, then any time they broke the law or broke those commands and they sinned, they would be responsible for the penalty, which is eternal separation from God. So that's what life looks like under the law. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has fulfilled the demands of the law. He suffered our penalty of not being able to follow the law, thereby freeing us from the law and from the penalty and the power of sin. And that's the incredible freedom that Paul is referring to here. It's the freedom that he's talking about uh, in verse 1 of this chapter. If you go back to verse 1, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So that's kind of the theme of the letter. And so Mercy House, if you've received God's grace and forgiveness, you are free, right? You are free, free from the penalty of sin, and you're free from the power of sin. And you're free to live in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit inside of you each and every single day. And that's what it means to be walking in the Spirit. Not in a legal relationship of following the law, but by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what it means to be free. And this is where Paul starts. But this freedom comes with a choice. It presents us with options, as, as does any type of freedom would. And Paul puts it this way. The, the freedom that we receive in Christ is either an opportunity for the flesh or it's an opportunity for us to lovingly serve one another. And we'll dive into this morning what that looks practically to pursue each one of these paths. But generally speaking, right, these are the two paths that are painted uh, in, 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 in this context of, of either sinful selfishness or loving selflessness. And that's the choice that we're faced with each and every day. One of these house rules in God's family is seen right here. In fact, Paul goes so far to say that all of the law, all of the rules for what it means to be a member of God's family can be summed up in one. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. So what it means to be an active member of God's family, what your role is in God's family, what it looks like to be spending your time, to be spending your resources, how you invest yourself, what it looks like to just exist as a member of God's family can all be wrapped up into this one exhortation, to love your neighbor as yourself. What does that tell us about God's family, if that is the one rule? Uh, primarily that the family is meant to be relational. God's design for our individual existence is inseparable from the existence of others around us. We are made for relationship with one another and, and, and built to live out our freedom in the context of other brothers and sisters who, who are also in the forever family of God. So that's one thing it shows us. The other thing that it shows us is, is that there is a, an intentional and healthy triad of love that involves loving God, uh, loving self and, and loving others. 
And this understanding of how we relate to God and others and ourselves is critical to the fabric of our intended human existence. Now, this is kind of a sermon in and of itself, but it really helps us understand what being a member of, of the forever family of God does not look like. And, and, and what it does not look like is that it is not worshiping God in, an, in a vacuum, right? Being in some sort of zen-like state, uh, state where, where you're disregarding others and, and, and you're disregarding yourself, but you're just kind of worshiping God in a vacuum. That's, that's not the intention. Um, it, it, it's not through a love of others, um, a selfless love of others, where, where it is godless and, and you're not caring about yourself, but you're just caring about other people. And it's not just a love of self, seeking personal comfort and fulfillment and glory for yourself. Being a member of God's forever family means having a love for God, having a love for others, and having a love for yourself, all in the context of one another and adding and contributing to one another and affecting those different loves. And I'm willing to bet, if we're going to be honest, we may be good at one of those three, right? Maybe two, one and a half. Um, but even as you're listening, I, I encourage you to consider which of these three areas, uh, perhaps maybe all three, do I need to press into and, and grow as a member of God's forever family? Loving God, loving others, or loving myself? So with great power, in this case, with great freedom comes great responsibility. And the question we're answering for the rest of this morning is, well, then what do we do with this freedom that we have in Christ? And so, like I mentioned before, Paul is going to boil this down to two different paths that we can take. Uh, as a Christian, we either live in the sinfulness of our pre-converted selves or our flesh, or we live in the spirit in obedience to God and the service of others. These are the two options. I think it's often easy, uh, maybe even tempting, to kind of overcomplicate what it means to follow Jesus. But Paul really boils it down for us. So let's read on and look at what Paul, uh, how Paul describes these two different paths, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the de desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And Paul exhorts, he calls the Galatians to walk by the Spirit and not the flesh. What's important to understand about these two paths that you can take, this choice that you have, is that they are, in, they are polar opposites of one another. They are in stark contrast to one another. And Paul says, uh, he uses those words, he says they're opposed, they're against one another. They are completely opposite directions with opposing desires and outcomes. And before we dive much further into this, what's, what is the difference between this flesh that Paul is talking about and the spirit? I think this is really important for us to grasp. So when Paul is talking uh, and using the word flesh, he's not talking about like your physical body, as if there's something evil or wrong with, with your flesh, fleshy body. Uh, what he's talking about is that when you become a Christian, you die and you become a new creation in Christ. And this is what baptism illustrates. Um, th this is what it means to be crucified with Christ as you're reading that in Scripture. This is what it means to be dead to sin and alive in Christ. But until Jesus returns and, and completes his work in us, finally making us completely new, we, we live in this in-between where, where we've been justified and made right before God, but we're still actively experiencing sanctification. That is the process of being made 
holy. Are you with me? So I'm walking through this. And so the flesh that Paul is referring to is indwelling sin, or what I would call kind of the leftovers of the old self. Sinful thoughts and desires of our former self before we were a Christian. It's like residual sinfulness in us. Because remember, we're free from the power and the penalty of sin. But until Jesus comes back, it's not entirely eradicated from our lives and our existence. The impulses, the temptation to sin is still a part of our existence in the flesh. So here's one way to think about it. Um, Elephants who are kept uh, captive are done so. They they, they wear an anklet around uh, their ankle, and it's chained to a stake in the ground. I know it's awful. It's terrible. I'm not condoning it. I'm just using this as an illustration. And so even as as a little baby elephant, it's, it's chained around its ankle to a stake. They physically can't run away. But as they become adults, that chain that they're tethered to is actually removed. And what's left there, though, is the anklet. And so this seven-ton creature doesn't run away. uh, And and, and even though it's not chained to anything, it feels the anklet, and it it doesn't run away. Why? Well, because the residual effects of, of years of being chained and enslaved have conditioned this elephant to think that it's chained and enslaved um, even though it's free, right? It feels the anklet, so it thinks that it's chained to the stake. And so Mercy House, when we feel tempted to sin, when we feel the desires of the flesh, the desires and passions of our former unconverted selves, it's the feeling of that anklet that we are so accustomed to and the temptation to resort back to our enslaved state. What we need to remember is that we are actually free, right? That the chain of sin has been broken by Jesus, and we don't have to submit again to the slavery of sin. Even though we feel the pressure that reminds us of our former slavery and the powerlessness that we experience in it, we don't have to return to that sin. But the problem is that we do. We return to what we've known because it's what we were conditioned for so long in our experience, in our sinfulness. And that's what Paul talks about when he's talking about living in the flesh. It's giving into the squeeze of the anklet, those old sinful desires, old sinful patterns of living, as if you're still enslaved. But Paul's encouragement is that you're not enslaved anymore. You're free, so live as though you're free and not as though you are enslaved. Free in the spirit as opposed to returning to the desires and the habits and the sinfulness of your old, former, enslaved self. I think it's important to note that Paul doesn't provide a third path here that's kind of spiritually ambiguous or or like a gray zone uh, that has no spiritual significance whether you're in the spirit or you're in the flesh. And I think this points to the fact that if you're not in the spirit, you're in the flesh, right? It's a binary. There's no gradient there. If you're not living as though you are free in Christ, then you're living as though you're enslaved to sin with no power over sin and no freedom uh, to have a relationship with God. And so by contrast, what it means to, to walk in the spirit is, is to engage in a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. And you do this through prayer. You do this through uh, conversation with God. You do this through the reading of God's Word. And, and you do it uh, obeying God's Word and being an active member of God's forever family. So that's what it means to walk 
in the Spirit. And so these two choices we have with our freedom uh, in Christ is presented before us, Mercy House. To either walk in the flesh, giving into the sinful desires and the passions of our former selves, or to walk in the Spirit and engage in a relationship with God. So in the next part of Paul's letter, he jumps into what our lives look like depending on which path we choose to take with our freedom. Let's look at verse 19 in Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul goes into some detail about the works of the flesh, or really what gets produced if we choose to live in the flesh. And note that these things are are evident, right? They're they're obvious. And and not only in their appearance in the lives of those who continually walk according to uh, their sinful desires and their passions, but as we go through this list, none of these things are really surprising to us, right? I didn't hear anyone scream out, what? Anger? Fits of anger? How is that a sin? None of these are surprising to us. The point is that none of them are very subtle or secret. And, and, and for this reason, we're, we're not going to dive too much into each and every specific one. Uh, but, but we are going to talk about this list. And, and, and as we look at the list, it's not exhaustive, right? So that's something that's pretty important. It ends with, and, th- and things like these. So Paul is helping us understand and start talking around the arena of sin, uh, but he's not going to go down unless every single individual sin. Uh, but what he does do is it, it, he gives us kind of uh, a list that we can break up into different categories of understanding how our sinful desires and passions manifest themselves in, in kind of broad ways. And these four categories are through sex, through religion, through relationships, and through indulgences. Those are the four. Sex, religion, relationships, and indulgences. So look at these first few here. That Paul mentions sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. These first three uh, are, are going to be lumped together in, in an understanding of, of sexual sin. So you're at, you were acting out on sexual impulses or desires that, that are outside of their intended design within marriage, right? It could be meditating on lustful and adulterous thoughts or fantasies. A, a commentator summarizes these as exemplifying, quote unquote, a, a lack of restraint and unbridled passion. And and what happens is that there is a leaning into doing just what our bodies and our minds want us to do as opposed to submitting to God's wisdom and his design for how we ought to be enjoying and experiencing sex and sexuality. As we look further on the list, you see idolatry and sorcery. So these two represent religious manifestations of sinfulness uh, when living in the flesh. The word religious that, 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 we're, that I'm using here is in reference to, to really what we worship as human beings. So idolatry as an example of worshiping and, and really idolizing anything that is not God, whether that be a career, uh, your family, a relationship, money, power, anything that we hold in our hearts as most precious to us that we're going to cling on to and, and run toward with all of our energy. 
Sorcery in this list is being uh, the pursuit of some sort of supernatural means of bringing about a certain outcome in our lives. Whether that's through using spells and incantations, which was really popular uh, during the writing of this, but it could also be seeking astrological signs, reading horoscopes, seeing a medium or, or some sort of psychic to, to help us understand things that, that are outside of our realm of understanding. All of which are in contrast to submitting to God and God alone. Instead, trying to assume power and knowledge outside of God, instead of trusting in God. As we look further in the list, we see eight that are grouped together here. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. The eight here uh, make up the majority of the list, and they're relational sins. They all get acted out on one another in the context of community when we choose to gratify the desires of the flesh. It it really reinforces the central idea of what it means to be a member of God's family, namely that you don't just lock yourself up in a room and not interact with anybody around you. But as much as we're called to be relating to one another around us in in the context of God's family, um, when we're in our flesh, this can cause a lot of problems. It can cause a lot of problems. A lot of these relational sins are going to overlap with one another. And so whether we're harboring hatred for one another, which is really going to be the root of all of these other relational sins, uh, whether we're, we're having jealousy, which is going to be re- uh, breeding resentment and bitterness toward one another. Whether we're blowing up in just fits of anger, we're, we're slinging words, sometimes fists in order to hurt one another. It could be us creating divisions by gathering like-minded, angry, frustrated people together and, and pitting your group against others, forcing people to choose sides in the family. All of these even looking at uh, being pridefully contrarian, right? Uh, insisting on your own way, just refusing to listen to other points of views or perspectives. That all of these are, are in stark contrast to our calling as Christians to love one another as ourselves, to lovingly, lovingly serve one another, to hold one another's, one another's interests um, as highly as we hold our own interests, to be building one another up, to be united together in Christ. As we look at the last couple on this list, drunkenness, orgies, these two represent sins of indulgence. And so obviously these can overlap with sexual sin, but but gratifying these desires in our flesh involve indulging in excess in order to comfort or to escape. So not only to feel good, uh, but also to escape feeling bad. When you think of it this way, which I believe that we should, it helps us identify areas that we may be gratifying the desires of our flesh that aren't as easy to detect. I think a good way to test ourselves here is by asking this question. uh, What do I run to for comfort and indulge in in excess to help mitigate the stress, the anxiety, and the hardships of life? So what are the things that I run to to comfort myself in excess? in order to mitigate stress, anxiety, and the hardships of any given day. I think the most typical indulgences today are food and media-related. It could also be work and exercise. It could be retail therapy or just an excessive amount of self-pampering. 
And whatever that sin of indulgence looks like, uh, it, uh, it contrasts the call on us as members of God's family to be pursuing and enjoying God as our ultimate uh, joy and as our ultimate refuge, to find ultimate comfort in, uh, in God and, and to escape to God and not the temporary fleeting things of this world. And so again, as we look through this list, it's by no means exhaustive. So if you don't see your specific uh, fleshy tendency on there, don't feel like you're exempt from this. That's why Paul ends it with, and things like these. It's helpful as we look at this, um, it's helpful to see some of the practical outcomes of what it means and what it looks like to live in the flesh to, 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 in order to, um, to understand what it looks like to be succumbing to those sinful desires of our former self and to give into that indwelling sin. But I think what's more important than measuring, uh, measuring our actions is really measuring our hearts in these areas. Whether, sin, uh, whether we sin sexually and disobey God's command for us to be holy, or we sin religiously uh, to disobey God's command for us to worship Him and only Him, or maybe we're sinning uh, relationally to disobey God um, and His commands to love one another as ourselves, or maybe we can sin in this realm of indulging ourselves and disobeying God's command to just cast our anxieties on Him and to find comfort and peace in Him. The point of this list is, is not to condemn or to crush us or to make us feel guilty and ashamed. Paul is merely reporting in, kind of like a journalist, um, and, and stating factually, uh, when you live in the flesh, this is what your life produces. And I think even diagnostically, uh, if this is what your life looks like, then you're living in the flesh. And fleshy, sinful living is a broken mess that, that hurts us, and it hurts those around us as well. And so what do we do, Mercy House? When we see these things in our lives, what's our next step? Well, thankfully, Paul already showed us what to do. <laughs> Notice that uh, the application is not to just cut it out. <laughs> That's not what Paul says here. It's not uh, seek out the areas of sin in your life and just knock it off. That's not what Paul says there's actually not very much focus on the sin itself. Look back up at verse 16. And Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The way that you attack sin uh, is not focusing on the sin, but by walking in the Spirit. You stay off the path of sin uh, when you're on the path of the Spirit. Well, how can this be? How can it be just so straightforward? Well, part of it is, is seeing and understanding how sin works. Look at James chapter 1 with me. It's going to be on the screen behind me, and it's in the Bible app as well. James 1, starting in verse 14, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so what James is saying here is that sin doesn't just like sprout out of nowhere, right? It, it, there's a process by which sin is birthed, and it starts with temptation to act out in our own desires. It's kind of like an apple, right? Like apples don't just appear out of thin air. I wish I could do some sort of magic trick to make an apple appear right now, but I can't because apples don't appear out of thin air. Apples start as little seeds. They mature and they grow in the soil with sunlight and with water. And then they sprout into a tree over time. And eventually, little apple blossoms 
appear on the branch, which become an apple. So if you're a farmer and it's harvest time and you go out, you go out and you check on your trees and you see that they're loaded with apples, it is too late for you as a farmer to want anything else other than an apple, right? You can't look at the tree and say, I want oranges, go. You can't do that. Picking all of the apples off of the tree as well is not going to change the fact that it is an apple tree. And that next season, apples are going to come out of that tree. But this is one of the ways that we can look at sin. Oh, we'll just, let's just pluck all of these off this tree right now. No, that's not the solution. You see, this is what both James and Paul are getting at here. When you want to attack sin, you can't just pluck the fruit. You need to target the root which in this case, look at James 14 again, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by, their, by his own desire. His own desire. The root of our sin in the flesh is the desire. And how do we avoid the desire? Look back at the text this morning, Galatians 5 verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This image is what repentance is, Mercy House. As members of God's forever family, the way that we respond when we see sinfulness in our lives is to turn away from the sin, but more importantly, to turn toward God by walking in the Spirit. The way that we eliminate uh, sin in our lives is not just by attacking the fruit, attacking the sin. And so it's, it's not through a, a book or, or through um, programs or covenants or commitments to just stop sinning. And these resources can, can be helpful, but only when they're actually paired with the intentional walking in the Spirit, pursuing God in prayer, in His Word, faithfully obeying God's commands, all in the context of, of being a member of God's family with your brothers and sisters. This is what it looks like to be walking in the Spirit, not in our own power, but by the power of the Spirit. And when we do this, Mercy House, incredible, incredible things happen in our lives, but also in the lives of those around us as well. Look at verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. This is a much, much more fun list to look at, right, than the works of the flesh. We're not going to have time this morning to dive into each of these, but even a quick glance at the fruit of the Spirit makes it clear how walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit are viciously opposed to one another where the works of the flesh are bent towards selfishness, disunity, self-destruction. The fruit of the Spirit is this beautiful combination of selflessly loving one another, which then creates a community where people are built up, empowered, and just generally flourishing. Like, if you had a choice between one community to be living in, it's very clear which one that you would want to choose if you're in a right state of mind. And so there's two main points I want to quickly point out as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, and one is that this list is presented as one singular collective fruit, so that's one point I want to point out, and the other is that this fruit is a result of walking in the Spirit in relationship with God. And so first notice that Paul refers to these Christian virtues um, and and what it means to be like Christ, uh, not as multiple different fruits, but, but a singular fruit, 
And so as we look at these, we need to think about these less as kind of like this fruit basket with apples and oranges and bananas and more like a cluster of grapes. Um, Different virtues that are all collectively important to what it means to be like Christ. And while we may see variations in how mature or how intense each of these are playing out in our lives, uh, Christian maturity, what it means to grow in Christ, means growing in all of these toward Christ who he himself is going to perfectly embody all of these fruit as one. And so how do we grow in these? As we look at this list, I'm sure some of us are already kind of taking a mental tally uh, of ones that, that we exhibit pretty well in our lives. Like, yeah, I'm pretty patient, I'm pretty gentle with people, and others that we might be severely lacking in our lives. I think that's kind of natural. And, and, and this is where I think it can get a little bit tricky because it's not as easy as just picking a fruit and focusing on it. Um, and forcing ourselves to just be more loving. Like, Tommy, just be more loving today. You could do it. Or just to be more patient. Have more patience with your children today, Tommy. You can do it. Any more than you can walk up to a tree and just like will it to produce a banana, right? We talked to use this illustration. You can't go up to an apple tree and be like, banana, right? And like have a banana up here. That's not how it works. Um, and it, it doesn't mean, though, that there's nothing that we actually do ourselves. Reading this commentary, uh, David Platt, he, he talks about the fruit in this way. He says, As a parent, I would love to staple on fruit to my kids, but these virtues must flow from our union with Christ, not from our own behavior modification. We might get our kids' behavior or, or our own to improve, but we will not be able to create Christ-likeness apart from the Spirit's work. We all need new hearts, regenerate people, have the power to naturally, holistically, and gradually bear fruit. This was helpful to me. This is also, it's, it's also like encouraging to me that it's not about forcing my will to, to, to act a certain way, but something naturally, holistically, spiritually, supernaturally working inside of me. I think to simplify what David Platt is saying would be to say that the Christian life is not about behavior modification, but it's about heart regeneration. That there's something supernatural happening inside of you that's not just you changing your actions, but seeking God to transform our hearts. And so as we walk in the Spirit, in relationship with Jesus, engage in prayerful conversation with God, reading and meditating on God's Word, living out what we're seeing in God's Word, all in the context of Christian family, that's when we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Mercy House, I want to grow in these fruit, don't you? You see this list? You You should want these things for yourself. You should want these things for your brothers and sisters in the family of God. Let's read these last verses here, starting in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul's last words in this section are a reminder of two important truths that help us us understand how to navigate these two paths, the Spirit and the flesh. And these two truths are that we have been crucified with Christ and that we are dead to our old selves and that we are alive in Christ through the Spirit. 
And this is the, the core reality that we as Christians live in and, and need to constantly be reminding ourselves of. That, that when we made the decision to follow Jesus, we died to our old selves and we were born again to be alive with Christ. And this is all done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in that process of conversion, we are set free. The chains of the slavery that we were experiencing were broken, and we were freed from the power and the punishment of sin. And if you're with us this morning, whether on the live stream or in this building here, and you're just exploring the faith, and you're trying to figure out uh, what it means to follow Jesus, and you haven't made that commitment, we're super glad that you're here, but we also want to give you the opportunity to respond and to receive this freedom. And the way that you do this is you can take a minute and pray in your heart. You can invite God into your life. You can receive that forgiveness of your sins, and you can have new life in Christ. Normally, we're in the back, and we would love to physically be with you and pray with you, uh, but because of COVID, we've, we've made an online uh, connection form uh, if you go to mercyhouse365.org slash respond, it gives you a chance to read through some of the things that we're talking about, but then also just to let us know that you made this commitment. And this gets you in contact with someone from our church, and we would love to sit down with you, even, even if it's virtually, to talk through this and, and to encourage you and, and support you and then to pull you into the forever family of God in, in, in a practical way at Mercy House. Um, and again, if you're just exploring the faith and, and you have questions, this also is a good place to start. It really lays out what it means uh, to make that step and, and what it means to follow Jesus and, and how to respond to him. So I encourage you to go to that website, mercyhouse365.org slash respond. To those of us who have received uh, the forgiveness and grace of Jesus and who are in his forever family, hear what Paul is saying. Though you may struggle, right? Though you may struggle with sinful desires, though you may give into temptation and let those sinful desires give birth to sin, uh, know that you are not defined by your sin, nor are you enslaved by your sin. That is the lie of Satan, that you have no power over your sin, that you're stuck, that there's nothing that you can do. And the reality is that you are no longer guilty, you are no longer enslaved, there is no longer any shame, and, and that residual sin is a part of your old self who you no longer are. A place I go to when I'm, when I'm having these thoughts and, 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 and feeling the guilt and the shame is Romans 8.1, that for those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation. And that's good news. And that's, that's really, that's spiritual freedom. And so the exhortation this morning is to live by the Spirit live by the Spirit. If, if we're alive in the Spirit, Paul says, let, then let's keep in step with the Spirit. If we're alive, then let's be alive. Don't be dead. Don't return to what you knew before you knew Christ. Those who are in the forever family of God live not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So Mercy House, engage with the Spirit. Walk in step with the Spirit. It's January. We're still thinking about 2021. We're still pretty optimistic about how the rest of this year can look. And even I'm setting out uh, different visions and goals for what I want my year to look like. I want to encourage you to make 2021 a year where you are walking in the Spirit. If there's no other priority, right, success for you, listen to me, success for you in 2021 looks like walking in the Spirit. 
No matter what else happens in the world, no matter what else happens in your life, if you want to mature and grow and have the best year, you're walking in the Spirit. That's what Paul is calling us to. And I think in that process, there's freedom because we are no, live, no longer living in our own power. But as we walk in the Spirit, we're, we're walking by the power of the Spirit and seeing this fruit come out of our lives, not by our own willpower, but through the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So that's my prayer for you, Mercy House, and my prayer for myself as well, that us as members of God's forever family here at Mercy House would be living by the Spirit. And us as a community, as individuals, be experiencing the fruit of the Spirit as we do that. Let me pray for us this morning. God, you are good. Um, You are merciful. You are a just God. Um, You are the perfect embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. And, And we get to experience all of these sweet fruit uh, through our experience with you. And God, we, we just we confess that we often give into the desires of our flesh. Our, our default is not to run to you, um, but, but to fall back into to who we were in our sin as our former selves. God, we thank you that you have rescued us from our sin, that you have freed us, that you've broken those chains of bondage, And you allow us to live in relationship with you through the Spirit. And so we ask God for strength uh, and and willingness to walk in your Spirit each day. Uh, And we pray, God, that that you would mature us as individuals, as a church, um, and produce in us the fruit of your Spirit. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.